seems like we made it out of this game fairly healthy um, relative to uh, people coming out of the game. We'll see how it, how it turns up tomorrow, but guys played hard. Carlson lining up for what will officially be a 47-yard field goal from the left hash. Made one from short distance in the first half, has missed an extra point. Snap is there, hold is good. Drives it left to right, and he nails it through. I think he was there before our game started, which is, I understand that. You know, he wasn't going to play today, so uh, I don't want to make more of that than it was. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Posted a poll this morning who will lead the Raiders in rushing yards this season. 68% say Josh Jacobs, which, by the way, means 32%. One in three people believe somebody not named Josh Jacobs Zeus. will lead them. Zamir White got 12% of the vote. Kenyon Drake, 8%. And Other got 12%. Amir got 12%. As well. uh, actually, Danny, who's probably going to come in here in like two minutes. <laughs> what said, did that kid do? Jarrett Stidham. <laughs> <laughs> so Jared Stidham running yep. a triple so, option. Needless to say, Danny has been spending too much time with me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. Now there's something we didn't talk about in the first week of the preseason uh, that I think is very, very important. Andy Reed allowed his safety to kick an extra point in a preseason game. Um, he allowed a safety, Justin Reed to walk out there and kick a field goal or excuse me, an extra point. Apparently, Justin Reed also kicked a 65-yard field goal in practice. Now, in practice, but 65 is a 65-yard field goal. Very long ways away. Uh, He is the starting safety of this team. And you know what I'm about, you know what's coming, right? You know what I'm about to do? Why would you put him in harm's way of kicking field goals and extra points? Completely wrong. Completely wrong. I have been complaining to you guys about how dumb NFL teams are for having a kicker and a punter on the roster. I've told you this before, right? You have a finite number of roster spaces and you have two guys designated to kick the ball. Just have one guy learn how to kick the ball both ways, right? Can't be that hard. All they do is kick in practice, spend an extra 30 minutes every day practicing a punt, right? Good to go. You should, it's so stupid to me that teams have a kicker and a punter. There should be one guy that kicks the ball for a team. Now you're telling me I can have zero guys on my (laughs) roster that need to kick the ball. I can just have my safety walk out there and kick extra points. He seems to be, though, a little special. You're telling me. I don't think there's many. You're telling me. I can't Trayvon Moore is going to hit a 65-yard field goal. You're telling me of the 53-man roster the Raiders are going to have in week one, not one of those guys kicked for their high school team? Not one of those guys? Yes, Daniel Carlson. No, cut him. Cut that guy. Get him off the roster. Give me Hunter Renfro, Trayvon Mullen, Divine Diablo. I don't know. One of these guys has got to be able to kick field goals. Not 65 yards. Why not? I, 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 I'm not, I'm going to agree with maybe they don't need two of these guys. Thank you. Because in, in the matter, he's a kid from Buffalo, did both in college. Why can't you do both in the NFL? Not saying you can't. Should be able to. Shouldn't be that hard. I think this guy's a little special with the 65-yarder. He is. Safety. But you don't need to make... Six, and here's the other part of this that goes hand-in-hand with the fourth down conversation. You should be going for it on more fourth downs, so you don't even need the guy to kick or punt very often. So 
Get yourself a safety like Justin Reed, who can make your extra points, <laughs> and just go for it on fourth down, and ta-da! Hey, the Raiders need someone who can make extra right. points. Yeah, well, they do. Come on, Daniel Carlson, <laughs> get it together. All I'm saying, there's a finite number of roster spots. Would you rather have a guy that only runs out there and kicks? Or, hey, one of these guys that makes tackles on special teams also has got a cannon of a leg, and he can kick you Kicked some extra points, right? It can't. It cannot be that hard to be a competent kicker. It cannot. I do not believe that it can be that hard to be a competent kicker. Well, you've argued with you've argued with us for many years. I on have. I mean, Wes Welker kicked a kicked an extra point. He did a drop kick too. Not even a normal one. He dropped the damn thing to bounce on the ground first oh, yes. and then kicked remember, it. Remember that. Now I will say, uh, Sue. Not a great kicker. Didn't uh, Ocho Cinco miss his extra point too? Yeah, or did he make yeah. his? I can't remember. So you but he need got to find shot. a you need to find a guy on the team who obviously plays another position as well, who can actually consistently kick. Yeah, and you you say the same thing for a punter. Well, just don't punt. But yeah, just well, okay. I, am I wrong in assuming punting is easier than kicking? Uh, I would say punting's easier. Okay, right. There's yeah. there's more yeah. margin for error. You in don't have to. It, like if you punt it. 10 yards to the right of where you wanted to, not the end of the world. If I kick it 10 yards to the right, right on a field goal, and you oh, missed it. We missed the, the field. Goal. Exactly. Right. So, like, yeah, you, there's there's going to be more. Sh- and by the way, more exciting, right? These damn kickers are trotting out there. Ah, he's making 94% of his field goals. Great. What fun is this? You trot me out there a safety that's only making 78% of his field goals? Oh, oh there's some drama. We got some excitement you here. Got some drama. 32 yarder to win the game. Not so fast. <laughs> Everybody's now wearing a Vikings jersey and can't make a short field goal at the end of the game. Would you, like would be tremendous. I can understand. I can honestly, I do understand why teams would have a designated kicker and punter, right? I don't understand why they'd have both though, right? I, it's completely stupid to me that you can't spend an extra 30 minutes every day at practice. Do you with feel the same kicker. thing about the long snapper? Oh yeah, and 100%. the holder. Oh, hundred percent. Well, the holders usually well, the holders the, the holders usually the, the punter. punter or the backup right. quarterback. They've right. got that one. They NFL teams has decided all the special teams we can delegate the holding job to just a random guy. Right. But, but the specialist is a long snapper. You're telling me, and we've had this conversation. You're telling me the center can't learn how to do that. How many centers you got on the team? Two. Your backup center should be your long snapper. Why not? He can't learn to long snap. You're, I mean, I'd hope so. He learns to snap when right. they're in the shotgun. Right. You're, all you got to do, in all seriousness, right? Start now. We're already into the preseason, though. Start now. Your backup center, just every day after practice for 30 minutes, long snap. Uh, he's got to have that down by the start of the season, right? Yeah, you would think. Yeah, okay. So we shouldn't have long snappers. That should just be your backup center. And we shouldn't have kickers and punters. Are you taking Trent Stieg's job because he won't call into the show? Just let him be the backup center, right? (laughs) We've never been able to book him. Right. You're you're wasting three roster spots on what should be just one roster spot. You should not have a long snapper, kicker, and punter on your roster. You should have one guy that kicks and your backup center. And your backup center is your long snapper. Yeah. That's what you should do all the time. Do teams even have a backup long snapper on the team? No. Here's my my, um, meet in the middle. So instead of having Justin Reed as your kicker and punter and saving a roster spot. <laughs> He's now punting? Right. No, no. We'll we'll take that away for the time being. You you have the one guy that kicks and punts, but you also need to have somebody on the roster that plays a position that is your backup kicker and punter. Because kickers and punters occasionally get injured and normally they sub in for each other. So right? now you need two guys who weren't k- kickers and punters in at the NFL level 
to be your kicker and punter. No, no, just I'm 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 willing to accept one special kicker, one specialized guy oh, who okay. only kicks and punts, right? So for the Raiders, so then Justin Reed would be your backup, right? Exactly. So like for for the Raiders, for example, right? We're cutting Take, AJ Cole, we're keeping, keeping Daniel Carlson. Carlson. He's gonna kick and punt. But now I need to find I don't know who did Hunter Renfro, Divine Diaz, whoever it was who kicked in high school. And he's your backup. And that guy practices every day too, right? He's taken, sorry, Hunter, you don't get to run slot routes for 30 minutes. Go over here with Daniel Carlson and learn how to kick and punt. You don't have to be great at it, but just in case this guy gets hurt and we need you to make an extra point, we feel competent. We feel confident that you're competent. Should be, that should be the way they run. I've just saved all NFL teams, two roster spots. <laughs> you are all welcome, right? Well, who's going to do that? Somebody's got to do that, right? Well, if Justin Reed continues to kick 65-yard field goals, the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs might be the first team. Jared, why? that's your side. Why do the Bills, why did they draft Matt Ariza and keep a kicker around? Yeah, he did both in college, yeah. and he was good at both. Yes. Why? They The Bills should absolutely be doing that with Matt Ariza. He should be kicking and punting. Because here's the thing, that whole criticism about he punts it too far. You can't kick a field goal too far. <laughs> exactly. You don't lose points if you kicked it at too far. It's not like there's a second set of uprights. Oh, you kick it through those. You lose the points. So he should be doing both. The Bills should do this right away. That's what I'm hoping for. So there's my yelling about this. My other thing to complain about, uh, did you see the defensive back that got flagged for signaling incompletes in the Giants-Patriots game? No, what is that, taunting? Uh, yeah, got called for taunting. Um, I'm looking and at actually, it. didn't even really, he really just put his arms up. He didn't really even really do like a menacing, you know, uh, wave the incomplete sign. I completely agree with you, but do you think, I'm watching right now, do you think it's because he stood over him? Because he didn't even it's, like swipe his arms, like you said. It's I'm looking where at he it right was, now. he didn't walk to stand over him. It's just where he was defending that guy and that guy fell on the ground. Does he need to sprint away from him? No, but I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering why the flag was thrown. I think if he just stands there and throws his arms up, then it's not, I mean, I think it's ridiculous either way, but I'm trying to figure out why they even called it. I believe here, here's how I think things should be called. If the defensive back makes a play on the ball. He should be allowed to celebrate as much as he wants. If a D, if a ball is simply overthrown by 10 yards and the defensive back celebrates the incompletion, flag that guy. Unsportsmanlike conduct, 15-yard penalty. That if you if you're a DB and you do the whole incomplete sign and you had nothing to do with why it was incomplete, the quarterback just screwed up, that should I'm okay with that being a flag. That's this that's something we need to get out of the NFL, celebrating things you didn't do. That's like, uh, it's not the same thing, but that's like, I always go back to Junior Seau. When he's down 40 points, he makes a, he makes a sack, and he would have thought he had just made the sack to win the Super Bowl. I'm actually okay with guys yeah, celebrating. You're when all right lo- with that? You're right with that? by a lot? Yeah, because we can make fun of him. Because that's funny. Okay. Okay. That, that's funny. I, I vaguely recall a play where Alex Smith got sacked, and there were two Raiders dancing behind him while he got the entire Chiefs offensive line yes. up to the, yes. the up, line. To the line and snapped it with two Raiders yeah. standing behind him, like high fiving. Yeah. That was great. It's a great sign. I and by the way, I don't know if this was true for Junior Seau. Guys that have incentives in their contracts, if they hit that incentive, celebrate. I want oh. the John. I want the Johnny Manziel. Oh yeah, the, the money, money celebration. The money oh yeah, yeah. You're losing by twenty eight. But you get your tenth sack Junior of the year. Was totally famous yeah. for that. You're down four scores. You get your tenth sack of the year. Yeah. You just hit a two million dollar bonus. Oh, 
I'm stopping the game. Oh, <laughs> I want the ball. The, yeah, the, the, yeah, I want the, the ball. ball. That's right. The Drew Brees stopped the game and honor him for the passing yards thing. The, like, I, oh, I'm celebrating. And like, uh, no doubt about it. Like, I'm getting flagged for it and everything. Because I'm like, yep, that's a two. I want I want a big check brought out on the field. <laughs> like, here's your two million. You just got the sack. Yeah, we're losing by four touchdowns. I want the big check on the field. I, I for some reason, feel like we aren't the, the right group to be like, act like you've been there before. We, as a group, are like, act like they're not going to let you do right, it again. Exactly. <laughs> it's, never, it's never happened before. It's never going to happen again. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Brief. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs taking a look at some UNLV football this morning. Uh, By the way, the basketball team is playing tonight against the University of British Columbia. 7 o'clock start. Little pregame show starts before at 645. You can hear that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. This is the only way to consume the game live. It will be posted to YouTube after the fact, a tape delay. Uh, But if you want to get it live, you got to listen right here on ESPN Las Vegas. That'll be the case for tonight's game, tomorrow's game, and Friday's game. All of those starting at 7 o'clock. Now, on UNLV football, Notre Dame announced their home television schedule yesterday. Uh, UNLV and Notre Dame will be on Peacock. It will not be on NBC. It is the only Notre Dame home game that is not on NBC. This is what you This is what you don't sign up for when they give you a million dollars to come <laughs> or whatever they're getting, right? You assume you're going to be on NBC when you play these guys. Peacock it is. So to watch UNLV Notre Dame, you will have to subscribe to Peacock. They might do a free trial, so you might you know hold out and do the seven-day free trial uh, and then cancel it before you actually get charged. I'm going to be there. You'll be there. Okay. Yeah, Look yeah. at that. You won't have to I won't have to sign up for Peacock. Peacock. No. So... It'll be on Peacock, which means UNLV, here's what we know about their TV schedule. They're going to have seven games on CBS Sports Network. They're going to have one game on Pac-12 now. Cal? That is the game against Cal. I don't know if that means it'll actually be on your television or if that's an online thing. I don't know what that means. Thing. I've got to be, I'm not trying to make fun. I have no idea what right. that means. Um, one game will be on Peacock. Two games are likely going to be on that new Fox 5 uh, Silver Sports Network the North Texas game, and probably the game against Nevada, though those have not been announced yet. And then the one that's left out there is a big question mark. They play at Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii's always has a separate television thing because they have their own pay-per-view deal, and they don't want people uh, legally streaming it, so they're very difficult about streaming their pay-per-view stuff. So that might be online only, but we'll still have to wait and see. But that's a lot of different places that you have to watch, uh, go to watch UNLV football this season. Now, what Bischoff's briefs today is about the quarterback position for UNLV football, because Mike Grimala came on this show yesterday and Mike Grimala predicted that Doug Brumfield would start at quarterback in week one. His reasoning was that Brumfield was taking the most snaps as the number one guy. And that if they were going to somebody else, that that would have changed by now, right? We're getting less than two weeks away from the start of the yes. season. Game week next right. week. Now, I did see yesterday uh, Steve Cofield, who was out at practice, said that 
Um, Harrison Bailey and Doug Brumfield split the number one snaps. So it sounds like Cameron Friel might kind of be out of the running a little bit here. And maybe that's the start of a switch to Harrison Bailey. But we're going to go off the prediction of Doug Brumfield because the first thing I want to give you is a timeline here. Doug Brumfield's specific timeline. September 2nd, Doug Brumfield came off the bench last season against Eastern Washington, led UNLV on a comeback. They still ended up losing that game in overtime, but that was his first time playing. Then September 24th, Doug Brumfield got hurt against Fresno State, and that was the last time he would play last season was September 24th. So didn't play the rest of the year, only played three games. Then we fast forward a little bit. April 12th, Doug Brumfield enters his name into the transfer portal. April 20th, Doug Brumfield removes his name from the transfer portal and comes back to UNLV. And now potentially August 27th, Doug Brumfield starts for UNLV against Idaho state. I love so much that Doug Brumfield might be the starter about four months after putting his name into the the transfer transfer portal. portal. It's that is phenomenal that he put his name in, came back, and could be the starter. And so... What does that say for the other guys? Well, and here's the question that we don't have the answers to. Why did Doug Brumfield put his name in the transfer portal? Did Arroyo say something to him about, this is Harrison Bailey's team, or Harrison Bailey's the starter? Or did Doug Brumfield just sort of infer, hey, I might not be the guy, and I want to be the guy, so let me go in the portal and see if somebody can make me the guy? I'm... I'm curious as to what the reasoning is and, or was, I mean, it's also possible it had nothing to do with the quarterback battle. He might've put his name in the transfer portal because of some sort of personal reasons, right? That's always a possibility. Now he removed his name eight days later, which the most likely story here is Brumfield on April, on April 12th thought, well, I'm not going to be the starter. So he put his name in the portal thinking I want to go be the starter somewhere. And by April 20th, he realized, oh, nobody else wants me to be their starter. My best shot at starting is to come back to UNLV and win this competition. So that's the most likely scenario, but we don't actually know the answer to that. Now, here's the part on the field that's interesting. If Brumfield is the starter, we got a very small sample size of him last year, right? He only played in three games. He only threw 39 passes. That is a minuscule sample size. But Doug Brumfield only completed 43.6% of his passes last year. And even though it's a small sample size, that's a really bad number. And he did not complete over 50% of his passes in any of the games that he played. So it's not even like, oh, he had one bad game and that sank his numbers. He was not a very accurate passer at any point last season. Again, three games, 39 passes. UNLV as a team was actually sixth in completion percentage last year. Like the one thing Cameron Friel did well was complete passes. Now, I think the key there, Marcus Arroyo's offense asks for a lot of short passes, a lot of high uh, completion passes that you're going to complete a lot, even if you're relatively inaccurate. So my guess would be, let's say Brumfield's the starter and he actually is the number one quarterback for all the year, majority of the year. My guess would be he's going to throw a lot more short passes this season than he did last year. And honestly, whoever the starter is, is probably going to throw a lot more short passes. But the question, the real question here, is he going to be above average as a quarterback in the Mountain West? He wasn't last year. If you go just by completion percentage, the last time UNLV was better than sixth was all the way back in 2009. The last time they finished above sixth in completion percentage. So if it's Brumfield 
and he wasn't accurate in a small sample size last year, do we really think he's going to have taken that big of a leap or that the sample size was irrelevant, that he's going to be one of the top six or better passers in the Mountain West just by completion percentage? I don't believe that, right? I don't think he'll be that good. I think you're still, receivers. I think, yes, the receiver group they think is really good and really deep. But I still think we're talking, if Brumfield's a starter, I think we're talking about completion percentage as a key stat for the majority of the year. But the other part that I'm intrigued by, and I wonder if this could be the case, if Brumfield is, in fact, the, the number one guy. Do you believe he might get this job simply because he's the best runner on the team or among the quarterbacks on the team? Trying to make up for what they're going to lose from Charles Williams? Brumfield played just three games last year, and my favorite stat, he was the second leading rusher on the team. Because they gave Charles Williams every carry possible. But he was the number two rusher on the team despite playing in three games. He adds an extra element, right? He can beat you with his feet much better than Harrison Bailey and Cameron Frio can. And so I almost wonder if there's a, if, if Arroyo's reasoning here, and again, this is all if he goes to Brumfield, I almost wonder if the reasoning could be, well, none of the quarterbacks have truly separated as a passer. So I'm going to go with the guy who can run as well, because if they're all, if they're all the same as a passer, then Brumfield should be better because he can run and the other guys aren't going to give you much of that. He can do two things. Right now. I don't know if all of the, I don't know if Arroyo sitting back and thinking, oh, they've all been the same as a passer, right? Surely he's sitting back thinking that somebody's been at least slightly better than the other one. So, like, let's say as a you know example, Harrison Bailey's been a slightly better passer than Doug Brumfield. Then it becomes, well, what do you view as more important, the best passer or the guy that can pass almost as good, but can also run for a bunch of yards and make things happen? On I'd you know, say Brumfield plays. to start. Probably. And then see how it works out. I think I would too. Now, if Bailey is significantly better as a passer, as a passer. then you're going with Harrison Bailey, right? At the end of the day, the passing is the mo- more important part of the job than the running. But if it's close, I can understand why you would go to Brumfield because he adds that extra element. And here's the problem. If it's close, Harrison Bailey is not the savior of this program. Right. right. And I have very little confidence that Brumfield or Friel are going to truly be a top four quarterback in the Mountain West, which is what I think they need to be like a bowl team this season, right? I think they need a quarterback to have a massive breakout year for them to go to a bowl game. If they don't, I think you're talking about a three-win, four-win team at the end of the day that eh, the quarterback play was okay, but like the defense still isn't great. And the offense replacing Charles Williams might be good, but not great. And ultimately, hey, they won four games. And that's an improvement on last year, but it's still sort of I mean, where they've been forever. Does it surprise you Bailey hasn't separated himself as yes. a passer? Yeah, very much so. Given given what you just said in the numbers of Brumfield last year, I can't believe he hasn't separated himself enough as a passer very, to be Very the much so. Like it, it, And again, it's hard to gauge because we don't know exactly what Marcus Arroyo is thinking if this is some sort of... I got to keep the motivation high and I don't want to name a starter and I don't want anybody in the outside world to know what we're going to do versus him truly not knowing who his better quarterback is. But if we take him at the, you know, at, Hey, we don't know who the best quarterback is. I think it's very concerning that Harrison Bailey hasn't won the job yet. And because he's just, he's not going to be much better. If you haven't won the job yet, you're just not going to be much better than Brumfield and Frio and, I think they need better than Brumfield and Friel last year. So either one of those two guys has to have a massive breakout season or 
Harrison Bailey was going to be the transfer that was better. And I don't believe either of those are going to happen at this point. But doesn't empirical evidence also say that, like, the guy who's going to start is going to be the worst of the three? (laughs) Coming up next, Mark Ziegler joins the show. Joining us now, Mark Ziegler from the San Diego Union Tribune. Ed, should we call him our uh, number one drug expert? He is the preeminent expert on drugs in the country. (laughs) I don't know how good that sounds or bad. Uh, So, Mark, help us out here. Fernando Tatis test positive for a banned substance. Uh, We've got a ringworm excuse. His dad says he got a fungus from a haircut, which I guess maybe is kind of the same thing. Uh, What do you know? What do you believe from what the Tatises have said? Well, I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm incredibly cynical about all professional athletes and big time athletes when they come up with these excuses. And I think, you know, a majority of, not a majority, but a large number of elite athletes are doing something. That said, I, I, I will say I think his excuse is plausible. Uh, whether you believe it or not, you know, is, is a different story, but it's plausible because uh, the substance that he tested positive uh, across the ball. Uh, yes, it's an anabolic steroid. Yes, it was part of the uh, East German doping machine um, uh, secret sauce that they used. Uh, but it's also in topical skin creams that are sold not in the United States. FDA doesn't allow it. But in uh, some European countries, some uh, South American countries, some Central American countries. And it's very plausible that it is a cream that could be available over the counter in the Dominican Republic. Um, and, you know, maybe on one of his trips back there, he picks them up for something, and now he's here rehabbing, and he gets this, this rash, and he's like, well, I've used this stuff before, and just plops it on, and he tests positive. That's all very plausible. Um, but, look, he's a guy making $340 million over 14 years. Uh, you should be able to hire somebody who looks at absolutely everything that goes in your body. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if you are a member of a professional uh, franchise that paid you $340 million, is paying you $340 million, you should be going to their doctor with everything, bee sting, scratch, everything, you know, to the trainer. Hey, doc, what's this? What do you think? Uh, let's get a dermatologist to look at that, and we'll give you something for it that doesn't make you test positive. So that's, that's kind of where I stand on the whole thing. How, and in the simplest terms uh, for the audience, how serious uh, or potent is this anabolic steroid compared to others that the athletes juice? So it's not as potent as something like Dianabol or Boli is something else that is really popular, particularly in the, it was popular in the Dominican Republic. Um, Stenozolol is another one or, or Wistol 5 is, is its other name. Uh, it's not as potent as those. That's what, you know, big time bodybuilders use. However, the advantage of this is that the side effects are mitigated because it doesn't break down into estrogen. Those other ones will break down into estrogen, and now you've got acne, you've got hair loss, uh, you've got breast enlargement, and, and several other things that are not very fun. And, and some athletes really don't want those, those side effects, so they'll go to something like Clostebol, which isn't as potent, but it'll still give you lean muscle mass, it'll cut fat, uh, and it will reduce those side effects. So, yeah, some athletes use it. Um, you know, D. Gordon, the National League batting champ, a few years back, tested positive for clostebol and testosterone. And so, you know, I guess the speculation would be that he was using testosterone, but he also was pairing that with clostebol to, to reduce the side effects. So, um, 
it's something that, yeah, people use. It, you know, it was combined with some other substances to, to make uh, oral uh, turinabol, which was the which is a drug of choice in East Germany and was very, very effective. So um, it's got its its place in the in sort of the realm of uh, anabolic agents. Well, real quick, you say lean mass and, and uh, burning fat. He doesn't appear to need either of those. So is this a strength builder? What what? Why would he take this? What what would improve his game that would take that w- he would take this? Well, what what a lot of athletes do is they will bulk up in the off season. When in professional leagues, there's very little off season, or sometimes no off season testing. Very hard for testers to fly down to the Dominican, find a guy, and test them. Uh, when the, when when someone doesn't want to be tested, they can they can disappear um, or go on quote unquote go on a vacation to another Caribbean island and, and do your steroid cycle. So you can do hit it really heavy in the winter. Most of this is just maintenance. Um, through the season, because as the season wears on, you start to wear out. Uh, and, and, you know, 162 games is a long time, a lot of travel, a lot of heat, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, but, but more commonly, what, what athletes are doing now is they're, is they're just taking testosterone patches or testosterone gels and doing what they call microdosing, where they apply it uh, at night before they go to bed. And by the time they get to the ballpark the next afternoon or after a game when they would be tested, it's out of their system. Plus, the test that would catch testosterone uh, is a very sophisticated, complicated test that they don't use ordinarily in Major League Baseball. You have to hit certain triggers to get to that test, uh, and it's, it's unlikely that you'll get tested there. Plus, you only get tested like once or twice a year in Major League Baseball, so it's really easy to sort of duck and dodge these things. And that's, what, that's why it's a little surprising that someone would use ball, which is pretty easily detectable uh, in, a, in a regular urine test, but um, it's also got its benefits. So, um, you know, as you're recovering from an injury, you're trying to get your strength back, maybe promote recovery a little bit, yeah, you take a steroid. Uh, Maybe, like you said, Tatis' story here is plausible, and that's exactly what happened. But do you think, and given all the players that have tested positive across multiple sports, do you think there is a benefit just from a public relations side for players to actually come out and own up to it, or does it not matter and they should all deny it anyways? I think, you know, you wish we could get to the point where they could just come out and, and say, yeah, I, I was taking steroids. I'm just trying to get better for the team. And I think a lot of people would just respect that. Right. But I, I the reason they come up with these stories um, is because they're fans invest a huge amount of emotional capital into their teams and their sports heroes. And they don't want to admit that what they're watching is a fraud. It's not real. And, and so at a certain level, there are going to be people, if you just toss them a little bit of a lifeline, they're going to grasp onto it. I mean, look how long people believe Lance Armstrong. I mean, and, and for those of us who followed doping, and it was so clear he was doping, but people just kept to the, to the death, you know, defending this guy because he kept throwing out excuses here and there. Uh, and, and eventually the house of cards came crashing down. But I think that's why guys do it, because I think there's people who will believe it. Um, and, you know, again, he could be both. I mean, he could be doping and, uh, <laughs> and made a mistake on this, on this ointment. I mean, that's very, very, very possible as well. And the, and the, other, the other factor that's something I'm writing about today uh, is the Dominican Republic. I mean, I think it's of the last 20 guys sanctioned by Major League Baseball for the major sanction for PEDs, which is 80 games, or, or in the second case of the second offense, you know, 162. Um, 16 of them are from the Dominican. I mean, that's 80% of your positive tests and sanctions 
from a country that pro- provides 10% of your players. I mean, it's just enormous. There's a culture of doping in that country um, that, that is just remarkable. And, and that's the biggest problem. I think it's just accepted. It's something you have to do. And so I think pretty much every player down there, I mean, they're, they're at least confronted with this, this choice that you have to probably take uh, drugs to, to keep competing and get the contract and get the money. Uh, and so that's, that's a, probably the bigger problem here than just the individual. What did he dope? Did he not? Uh, had some comments from players, uh, you know, the, the, in the locker room, they already have the team that they've had. He hasn't been there anyway. Uh, real quick, were you surprised at AJ Preller? I mean, he went really strong at the trust issue. They have him on this contract. We know about the motorcycle accidents and what he's been doing off the field. Now this, were you surprised that Preller went that hard at him? No, because I think it, it wasn't so much he was going, it was frustration at Tatis, his frustration at, I just convinced my owner to spend you know, go over the luxury tax for a second straight year, which brings a 30% uh, tax on top of having the fifth largest payroll in baseball, like 230, 240 now, a uh, million uh, in a very small market. And I convinced my owner to do this two straight years. We didn't make the playoffs last year. And, you know, they're, they're a couple, only a couple games ahead of the Brewers from falling out of the playoffs again this year. I mean, people here are not wanting to recognize that. Uh, they're closer to falling out of the playoffs than, you know, obviously catching the Dodgers or, or moving up. So uh, I think that was the frustration. Yes, there's a frustration. There's a trust issue uh, for what I was talking about. Why doesn't he come to the, the team doctors, the team medical staff, and say, look, I've got this rash. What do I do about it? Um, that's, that's just kind of his MO. But it also goes back to A.J. and Peter Seidler giving a huge contract to a guy, I think he was 21 when he got it, uh, who they didn't necessarily need to sign. They had a couple more years in which to sign him, and they probably should have, in hindsight, waited to see if he matured a little bit before you give uh, what is clearly a very immature individual this amount of money. Um, a lot of bad things happen. We've seen that historically throughout sports. All right, before we let you go, it's a less than a month away. Are you excited to see Derek Carr lead the Raiders out for another season? I- I'm a little bit worried about... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, if we if we if we get all the players to actually go to the games instead of going to <laughs> WNBA games, I feel a little bit more comfortable. A little little concerned here, you know. How, what kind of commitment do we have to the team when we're watching women's basketball? And all due respect to women's basketball, but you're paid, you know, a lot of money by a football team, or you own a football team. Uh, I, I think you got to kind of be there. No, WNBA is better. It's just preseason, not a big deal. They got a month to get this figured out. That's no worries. I just get a little bit worried. I'm also a bit worried about the offensive line. Keeps me up at night, but uh, you know, I'll take some sleepy pills. I guess it's keeping Derek Carr up at night too. He's Mark Ziegler from the San Diego Union Tribune. Mark, thank you so Thanks, much for Mark. joining us. All right, my pleasure. Talk to you guys. The leading drug expert. Oh yeah, actually, no. Well, he's covered like twenty. <laughs> I mean, he's covered. He like literally listed some stuff yeah. that I was like, "Hold on, wait, no, so, slow down." <laughs> I don't. I want to know what I should be taking. He's covered twenty Olympics, every World Cup. Lance Armstrong. Like anytime I have any kind of question, I'm like Ziggler, you got to call me. I don't know anything about this drug. That was that was very good. I. <laughs> I feel much more informed now about what the hell might have happened with Tatis. I also enjoyed that he brought up D. Gordon, who I always like. I always assumed the reason he was taking anything was because he weighed a hundred, yeah, hundred ten pounds, and so he was just like, I can't keep weight on. All right, we got tickets to give away. Guitarist Jeff Beck is playing Friday, November fourth. I did Google that. He was named a top five guitarist by Rolling Stones uh, at the Pearl at the Palms on November fourth. If you want to go see Jeff Beck, 
We got tickets before you can actually buy them. They don't go on sale until August 19th at Ticketmaster.com. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Jeff Beck, Friday, November 4th, the Pearl at the Palm. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number six at 702-364-1100. I think uh, anybody who asks that question that plays basketball, if he said no, he would be... Be a liar. It's a team that uh, won uh, multiple championships. It's a team that one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player, to ever play this game played for. So it's a no-brainer. Everybody would love to play for Chicago. Down the line, you you never know. You know, you never know how life brings it. Maybe, maybe I play for Chicago. But uh, right now, I'm committed to Milwaukee. You're locked in the press box tonight, seven o'clock, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You can hear the Running Rebels take on the University of British Columbia. They are on a preseason tour in Canada. They get three games, some extra practice time. You get to do that every three years, I believe it is, in college basketball. And you can hear it here tonight. You cannot watch it live. You can watch it after the fact once UNLV gets it posted to their we- or to the YouTube page. You'll be able to watch it. But if you want to consume it live, you got to do that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Ed is gone. Danny is here. Danny's a disaster. We're not even talk. Danny walks in here, wants to talk about a kid going into a coma. Yeah. Like, no, Danny. I, I didn't no. say I wanted to talk about it. I you, was that's just the only asking, thing you've said to me. I was just asking if you guys had discussed Why would it? you ask us if we had talked about this kid going I mean, into a coma? You, you, you understand you this is to a talk major, about it. It's a major topic, and because he's on the team that just knocked Nevada out All of right, the We are not talking series. about it. I okay. have an important question instead for you two. Go ahead. I got an email this morning from Southwest. It's like, oh, low fares. Should I go ahead and buy airplane tickets to go watch game six and seven of the World Series in Houston on August 16th? What was the? Oh, Adam, Adam Candy, if you're listening, what was the name of the museum that we needed him to go to? It was the Holocaust one or the air and space one? Was, no, no, no. This was, was the funeral. D- it was the funeral. It was the one. funeral. I was going to yeah. say, aren't those both in D.C.? What? No, the space one is in Houston. Okay. Well, there is an, there's two air and space museums in D.C. and Northern Virginia. Okay. N- NASA is in Houston. Yeah, yes. Na- the NASA yeah. Museum oh, okay. is in Lots Houston. of cities have museums yes. that just happen to have the same topic as other cities. Well, I know in Las Vegas we don't do museums. We have like two. The only One's about why... the mob. Yeah, which actually that's a a really cool. That's a really good one. I've interviewed a couple people who work there. It's really cool. Yeah, and then the other one is uh, the nuclear museum that randomly will have aliens displayed in it. The the atomic bomb museum or whatever it is, right next to UNLV. But it's very confusing because they're like, "Come see our alien exhibit." I'm I'm, I'm sorry. What is this museum? Uh, But to answer your question, why is why only game six and seven? Well, because those are the dates he has special. No, like one, two. I mean, depends on who they play, but one and two and six and seven would be in Houston. Three, four, five would be at the other city's ballpark or conceivably three, four and five are in Houston. I'm not going to fly to Houston for two weeks and go to one and two and then sit in Houston and then go to six. and seven. I would say to sort of hedge your bet. Well, there's Try no bet. Well, well, to hedge everything's to hedge a bet to Danny. <laughs> there's to, no bet. Well, to to make it worth your while, because obviously you don't know which games will be there, because you don't want to buy for six and seven if they have three, four, and five. Well, okay, here's the thing. In it's through Southwest, right? 
I can change the flights. Right. Like if the Astros went to the World Series, but they were the away team, I could change them to go to three, four, and five. Now it would cost the whole reason to do it now is because I get an email. It's like ah, seventy nine dollar flights. Well, what if you schedule it to be there during Game Five in case they get three, four, and five, and you'll be there during Game Six in case they get six and seven? That sounds stupid. Why? They're I would only just like two days apart. I would just change the flights to leave early to go to three, four, and five. There is a museum in Houston that is free called the Garage Mahal, and it is the Art <laughs> Car Museum. So if you ever see a car that just has, like, crap super glued to it, this is where it will end up. Oh, if not it's... even, like, cool paintings. They just have stuff right. glued to it. Well, it's just, it... like, at-home DIY fix-your-car type deals. No, it's it's all right. It, uh, I, I'd have to show you the picture, but it's literally like a old Buick that somebody has put toy lobsters and toy bass fish and just glued them all over it. Is this like a knockoff version of Pimp My Ride? I think this is what, like, there was like a weird group of people in the 70s that all of a sudden decided, like, I'm going to glue every Tweety Bird I find on my car. Do those, do those fish that are glued onto the car, are they the talking ones where you press the button? Um, was if, it the if, Budweiser fish? God, imagine no, uh, Billy Bass. Right? Isn't that like sick and Billy Bass? I, I don't remember. All I'm I know is it. I had one growing up, and like so did three other households in my family. And Jesus. we also had the talking frog where if you press a button, it would like, it sounded like burps, but it would say the word Budweiser. I don't know if I'm intrigued or scared to learn more about your family. I think scared is the right answer. Let Multiple me, people in your way. family had the talking fish on the wall. Let me put it this way. My mom's whole side of the family is from New York, and somehow out of my eight or seven aunts and uncles, I think five or six of them ended up in Virginia, and three of them ended up marrying rednecks. <laughs> it's <laughs> Our family's wild. We got like 120 people. I'm actually taking my girlfriend back east next week for a oh, wedding. For her. And she met the entire family like four years ago at another wedding. So now she's got to re-meet all of them. Uh, is there a... You is could have been a coastal elite. Instead, you got yeah. bass on your wall. I uh, mean, I was just going to say, if you ever go on Ancestry.com and you're like looking through your family tree, is there ever a line connecting the two halves? No. Okay, so quick story. We got like 30 seconds. Growing up in Missouri, we had to do a family tree project. There were multiple kids in my classroom who showed their family tree, and it's like it's branching out, and then suddenly there's a line across. Oh, no. Where it's like, oh, they weren't like second cousins. They were like first or second cousins. See, I had to do something like that in sixth grade. I had to do my family tree, but it was for like when my family came over from Europe. So it was all like Ireland ancestors. It is legal in Alabama to marry your first cousin. Yes, it, it is. is not legal in Mississippi. <laughs>